0: In this episode, we're going to talk about surveillance, some of the legalities behind it and processes, looking at a recent article I just posted today on Facebook regarding the FBI trying to get their program off the ground using the FISA courts. We'll look at how some of those have worked since I have been involved in that system before, different types of surveillance, how you're under surveillance right now if you're listening to this, which forms you should probably be more concerned with, whether you would know they're there or not, and which ones you shouldn't worry about. So surveillance, what is it? What's happening with it? What should I care about? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight. This is episode 40 of Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight, where we talk about the Gray Man concept, also known as the Gray Man Theory. I'm your host, Shammer, and you may be able to hear some whistling wind in the background. Talking about surveillance, I want to first mention, if you're a fan of DMR Publications, which I keep in the show notes and have shared posts to these podcasts and his Facebook page on uh, my Facebook as well as Twitter, do understand that recently, due to censoring issues with the platform, it appears his profile has been terminated, but the groups are still there, so you can still see stuff in the groups. He just can't post right now. We'll probably get that fixed, I think, here in uh, probably not too long. But I've updated the show notes. I'm not going to go back through and update the previous 39 episodes. It's going to take too much. But down in the show notes, there are links to his MeWe and Parlor that have been up and running for some time. In fact, he's primarily been using those accounts, although he still does post on Facebook. So if you enjoy his stuff, his podcast, his articles, his discussions, and his insights, check the show notes for DMR Publications. Go to his website, read his articles, and check out MeWe and Parlor. Don't forget to like and share whatever platform you desire, feel free to send me a question anytime. You can reach me on email, which is in the show notes, as well as contact me through Facebook or Twitter. And if you're on the Anchor app or the Anchor website, you should be able to leave a voice recording question if you'd like to do so. If you do that, I will play it on air and answer your question. Any question that deserves an entire show or dedication to it, I will be sending you a book, which I've mentioned before. I still got some copies of The Definitive Book of Body Language, which is the encyclopedia of all things body language. Spy the Lie, written by some CIA case officers. It's a great book on how things work and deception and things they look for. And I have one other book that's called Telling Lies, and I will send you one of those books free of charge for you to check out and read and discuss with me if you'd like to in the future. Looking at surveillance and what it is, there's actually no legal definition of the term. There's legal definitions written in law of types of surveillance, such as foreign surveillance, postmark surveillance, CDC surveillance, electronic surveillance. Mostly we think about things from the intelligence and military perspective, but there's many types of surveillance programs out there. They're all governed by United States code. And then they are written in not only based on the code, but into acts or statutes, such as FISA, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, and supported by the Constitution, which there's some discussion and argument about and I get that. And I'm by no means a lawyer but I have worked in the business and have done surveillance and counter surveillance and have done requests and been approved for surveillance and different types of covered actions through the FISA courts. Now of course this isn't a political show and I don't pretend to make those arguments too much if I don't have to one of the things I'm going to do is, remember, I'm not a constitutional scholar or lawyer. I'm just going to explain to you the way it was explained to me through the laws of different attorneys on both sides, as well as through the court system and with judges. And one of the things we hear all the time about the Fourth Amendment is that you cannot be searched or have any form of seizure without a warrant. And a lot of people believe that. The Fourth Amendment actually does not say that. It's a misunderstanding of the terminology. Now, the thing is, if you're what they call an originalist, somebody who looks at the Constitution as the law of the land and should be not really interpreted because it's its original writing, then there's not really much argument with this. If you're not one of those people, then, you, of course, you can argue anything. But one of the things I'll point out is I'll read you the amendment, and this is the part that kind of makes the difference, and I will explain it. Fourth Amendment says the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated and no warrant shall issue but upon probable cause supported by oath or affirmation and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized now why a lot of people interpret that as you have to have a warrant you don't it says unreasonable searches and seizures that's the original writing there are such things as reasonable searches and seizures where warrants are not required and in some cases probable cause is not required how does that work Down here where i live near the mexico border we have border patrol checkpoints a lot of people know that on the border but when you leave the border and you get up anywhere from say 10 to 30 miles there's a secondary checkpoint without going cross-country there's no way to take a road without hitting up one of these other checkpoints and they can pull you over typically it's because the dog's going to get a hit or there's something suspect about you now why there's all kinds of arguments you can get into whether or not you're being detained they pull you over, they have you exit the vehicle and they search the vehicle. Happened to me. I told the guy, I said, Look, I saw the dog make the hit. I'm sure you hear this all the time, but I don't do drugs. I don't like the smell of marijuana. So, unless that's not a drug dog, I don't know what it's smelling. And he looks at me and kind of smirks. He goes, It's not a drug dog. I said, Well, in that case, I can tell you where all the firearms are on my vehicle because I was shooting yesterday. And I'm on my way back there today. And it was an explosives dog. And the amount of firearms and ammo I had in there, plus the clothing and things that had gunpowder and stuff on it, the dog got a hit. I told him where all the firearms are. He didn't really care. He was really cool about it. And it was over with. Another way you can look at it is a cop stops you on the street or pulls you over for whatever reason. We'll say it's legal. Um, There's no question it's legal. It's just happening to you and they say, I'd like to search you, or I'd like to search your vehicle, and you consent. Now, whether or not you think a person consent, this happens all the time. The second they consent, they conduct a search without a warrant. It's considered a reasonable search. Your consent isn't written into the Constitution. It may be written into another law, typically a state law, but you've consented to that search, and then they conduct it. If you get pulled over, and let's say you get a DUI, and they arrest you, your vehicle's there. They're going to secure your vehicle with your keys. They're not going to let you do it because you're inebriated. And they're going to search your vehicle, and they're going to look for things. Like, is there a child in your car? Is there a dog? A friend of mine who got pulled over had an expensive camera. They took the lens off the camera, locked it in the center console for him. And, of course, if they find anything else, then, yeah, you'll get in trouble for it. But that's considered a legal reasonable search. They secure your vehicle, pass the keys off to the tow truck driver, which is usually at the police station in some situations. And your vehicle is left unattended until it's towed and taken away. There are forms of searches, which surveillance is a form of a search and potential seizure that can be done without warrants. Some need warrants. We all have opinions on this, we all agree or disagree, but I'm just saying there are things out there that are very clearly don't require warrants that are considered reasonable. And then when you get into the court system and you let's get a warrant, let's not get a warrant, you got a judge, they got to look at precedent case law, the litigation arguments on both sides, following the law and whatever. And then when you get in a FISA court, you're talking about judges, who get security clearances, they get briefed and trained on all kinds of things. Other judges don't. And they have to follow the spirit of law, the rule of law, et cetera, et cetera, in order to make those decisions. What a lot of people don't realize because they get angry and emotional and think these courts are all bad and they always do it evil and cops always try to get away with stuff. Whether or not that happens, which I'm sure it does, and mistakes are more often made than people trying to intentionally get away with things, and most of the time it's done correctly, there are times when you go through the system in order to find out, I'm not sure if I need a warrant. This is what I'm doing, this is my mission, here's all the information, here's what we're doing, the type of surveillance, or the type of whatever, and it's to determine do I need a warrant or what specifics more do I need to get on a warrant. It's not like you go through the system to FISA and it's accepted the first time, not to mention the entire chain of command and whatever organization you are. I've had to do things without even the FISA court. When I was interrogating, we did separation, which I've talked about before, but probably not to this degree, where you take an individual and you physically separate them from everybody else. You'd put them in the equivalent of a special housing unit, and then they'd only ever see two guards, the guard that brings them the food and the second guard coming with the first guard to take them for latrine and shower usage. That's the idea of done correctly, usually for a 30-minute minimum to start, to keep them separated from people and information in order to get them to start talking. And we did this to several people, sometimes for months. Now that process simply takes a description, what you're doing, it goes up, gets signed off by a mid-level general officer, and you're good to go. Assuming all the other signatures before that happen, which typically they will. However, in my situation, we had some ideas. So we brought in some FBI guys and retired FBI law enforcement experts, as they called them, and helped us build special shells in a room, in in a very large room. And we purposely made it poorly to American standards, but pretty good for what standards were in that country at that time, to where there were small cracks and stuff, to where you could kind of see somebody on the other side, which is what we wanted. We put microphones in the walls, and then we set up a hidden camera that we would run whenever they were going to be in there with somebody even if it meant all night in order to watch the video and listen to the recordings later now before we put them in there this was now surveillance we now had to get approval goes back up to the same general officer they didn't have to contact the FISA courts as it didn't exist at that time but they also didn't have to go to Congress they went to the FBI who was working in country at that time to determine based on their opinion do you think we need a warrant for this And they would explain whether or not they would need a warrant, what the purpose of it is, and then it would go to lawyers, and then it went up to the next higher level and got approved. It didn't take very long, but it was a situation with surveillance where we had to determine legalities of these people that are detainees, some of which are combatants, do we need warrants for what we're doing? And it turned out in that situation at that time, we did not. Whereas of all the times we did in one time, we actually did because of how we were doing it. So there are some things that happen in there. Now, the context of this was an article by CNN that came out a few days ago based on uh, the semi-annual review of the FISA court certification that happens every six months. And uh, the document, of course, if you find online, is heavily redacted as as it should be. But starting out with the title, it says, Court Overseeing National Security Surveillance Funds the FBI Routinely Doesn't Observe Rules. It's CNN routinely is an unnecessarily adjective. It does explain much later in the article that working with FISA is something new for them. There's a lot of things they admitted to they did wrong that they didn't realize at the time. There's probably some things they probably tried to skirt around. That's completely possible, but we don't know that for sure. And they got hammered by the judge. And there's even some people that came forward and said, yep, I did this. I didn't think at the time that it was wrong. I realized that it is, therefore I'm guilty. So they were pretty good on that. The article starts out by saying the court that oversees national security found the FBI routinely failed to observe rules meant to protect the privacy of citizens while searching through emails without a warrant. Despite identifying widespread violations, which is, in quotes, analysts conducted these searches, the judge still approved the warrantless surveillance program for another year. The ruling was outlined in a heavily redacted document. Part of the regular certification process for the use of surveillance enabled by Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. You should look that up and read it. Just so you understand the context of all this, which includes a warrant surveillance program that allow, warrantless surveillance program that allows the US government to collect email phone calls from non-citizens abroad, even when they're communicating with Americans. So what happened with this? Well, the judge noted that the government used as part of an investigation, non-publicly available information on 16,000 people gathered as part of the program or the specific operation, I should say. Although it says program, I'm sure it's one specific operation. The department's Justice National Security Division found the searches for only seven of these persons satisfy the statutory requirements, statutory means law, while the others did not. So the FBI responded with this statement, It says, the FBI maintained that the queries for all 16,000 individuals, quote, were reasonably likely to return foreign intelligence information or evidence of a crime, unquote. However, the court said this, quote, based on the facts reported, the FBI's position that the queries for all 16,000 persons were reasonably likely to return foreign intelligence information or evidence of a crime is unsupportable, unquote. It's the court's job to make that decision. Nothing wrong with the FBI being wrong. You don't really go to a court just like any other cop won't go to a DA or a judge unless they believe they have the information to make the case. They believed they had it. They were told they didn't. Problem was somebody else told them they did or let them get away with this. During the review, hey, you guys have been screwing up. Now, there's all kinds of other things they talk about, computer systems. I don't know if they're actual complaints, passing the buck, or what it is. It says the recently reported querying violation suggests that some FBI personnel still need such help. Which is not surprising the fbi really just started to implement the documentation requirement on a comprehensive basis they haven't used fisa much and now they're using it more often or trying to whether or not it's more surveillance or just different programs who knows well i know but i i can't really say but it's part of what they're doing now now the only reason i brought this up was not trash on the fbi i didn't want to do that it was to Bring the points, Surveillance happening all the time. Are you one of those 16,000 people? Probably not, but you could be. Uh, unlike, unlikely, though, as most of them are non-U.S. citizens abroad, apparently. One thing to understand is you are under surveillance. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, you're under surveillance right now. now. A lot of people think they're under surveillance just like they think they're on a watch list, which I don't think I've discussed on the podcast before. I've discussed it on live shows and different chats and different people's groups before. A common example is people that are more to the conservative side of politics tend to believe that, well, I'm a patriot or a gun owner or a conservative, you know, a constitutionalist, therefore I'm on a watch list or a domestic terror watch list. And I have to tell them, no, you're not. Domestic terror watch lists are very small, it's not organizations, it's individual people, mostly women, mostly from liberal extremist organizations that conducted bombings and around the 60s and 70s. You can look that up. There's tens of lists out there. There are lists a lot of people are on. You ever get an FBI background check, you're on a list. Join the military, you get a background check, you're on a list. Conceal weapons permit, same thing. People in the medical community have licenses have to do background checks. Part of it's the FBI background check. People with those types of certifications are on lists. I'm on like three lists. You might be on a no-fly list and don't even know it. Most people completely misunderstand those. Or people think, well, I do this, or... I come out and talk on Facebook or whatever about this social media. And I have these beliefs, so I'm under surveillance. It's like, really? If you really believe that, you wouldn't still be doing it, number one. Number two is too many people out there doing exactly what you're doing. So, no, you're not. Most people are not. The thing is, like, people talk about surveillance. Part of it, when it gets to the conspiracy level, it's not that the idea is necessarily wrong. They apply it to the wrong organizations. They apply it typically to the government intelligence community. You know, the same idea is, well, they're listening to all our phone calls. Look up how many phone calls on a cell phone are happening at any given time in this country, even at night. Physically impossible to have all of those listened to. It just can't happen. Could they be recorded? Sure. But listened to? No, unrealistic. Not possible in any sense of the word. So what kind of surveillance are you under? Well, let's look at marketing or what we call predictive analysis. And there's other terms for it now. There's documentaries out there on it. So when I say like Facebook, I use that term a lot because it's most known, but it means any social media, but other businesses do it too. They do predictive analysis on what you're going to do. Everything from politics to purchases. It has to do with their advertising, how they get money and the deals they cut. It has to do with privacy. So for example, Facebook or any company comes out, we're doing something new with privacy. We're making you more private. You know, one of the biggest things we always see is, well, we're not going to sell or, give this to any third party, right? But then it looks like they did. Well, here's the thing. If they own one single stock in a company and they're a part owner, they don't consider it a third party. That's how that stuff gets out there. Things they do are like facial recognition. A lot of people see facial recognition, see it evolved. They're kind of concerned about it. You know, you can buy those face coverings, but they don't think about what facial recognition can really do. If you think about the human face, changes based on... How much water you have in your system, how dehydrated you are, the shape you're in at this time versus six months ago, the color of your skin, how much hair, you know, all these different things makes it kind of difficult as much as they've evolved it. What about inanimate objects that don't change? Look around your room right now or your car. Things on the street. What are the things that are the same all the time? Types of vehicles, types of products, types of phones, the symbols on them, the emblems, the names. You walk into somebody's house, you see they have a TV. You consciously know it's a TV. You may not read the brand on the TV, but just consciously or subconsciously realize that based on the brand's location on that, you know it's a Samsung or an LG. Maybe it's just something like that. Maybe you're like me. You don't know a lot about cars. You see a truck. I can't tell from the body style necessarily what kind of truck it is, but I can see the name they write on the sign, and I realize if it's three times longer than other vehicles, it probably says Silverado. Imagine what computers can do. When they look at your photographs, They don't just see the faces. They see the clothing, the tags, anything in the room. If the picture is you at Thanksgiving dinner with your family, they can see it's a holiday, likely Thanksgiving. They can see a turkey. They can see food, the family, the smiles, the clothing you're wearing. They can see brand names, all kinds of stuff, no matter how crappy the picture is. They use this to do predictive analysis on the things you like, potentially will like, might buy, might do, what you could be influenced by, which is how they place their ads. That's how this all works. It's just advertising and marketing to a whole new level. It's the amount of surveillance you're under. All that information is collected, collated, and looked at by algorithms. Thousands of things going on a second. That's how ads get placed anymore. It's all done digitally. Now, whether or not you think this is surveillance, let me put this in a context you may understand. Remember the game Pokemon Go. Look it up if you're not familiar with it. They had the phone, they had the game look like crazy people running around the park finding you know little pokemon dudes or something that weren't really there getting their points. That was a surveillance test program for predictive analysis for shopping. The idea behind it which they proved would work was it wasn't a game. When you look at everything up to pokemon go especially those that have social media accounts or influencers or have youtube when you are gaining revenue or potentially trying to gain revenue through ads, it's based on click-through rate, meaning people click on ads and shit. And how long they've the ads is called click-through. The other term they look at is called footfall. Basically, can we do the same thing, but instead of getting you to do stuff online, can we get you to physically go places? That's what Pokemon Go was for. And the game was set up through the algorithms based on all the other predictive stuff they already had. And remember, this was several years ago, like four or five years ago. To get you eventually to a location you were known to or likely suspected to spend money. Like coffee shops, grocery stores, restaurants, electronic stores. Proved to work highly successful. When I found this information out, which is when it was happening, I would ask people how long they played the game, where they went, and what they did. Most of them, especially got into town in the city, They were out, out in the sun, whatever, they'd go buy a drink, they'd get a meal. They'd do things they weren't normally planning on doing that they were doing because they were playing the game the game brought them there. And they didn't believe it because we believe we make our own choices. There's very few things people do anymore that are their own choice if they're a person that uses an electronic device like a computer, a laptop, or even worse, a smartphone. Now, if you're curious how this plays under surveillance, it does a couple of things. One is the way the government uses it is that they can use this predictive analysis to find people. could be through surveillance of guys that are terrorists or bad guys. It could be to identify likely patterns in case this person just disappears or gets taken. So some kid has a smartphone. They do whatever. They develop a pattern of life that nobody understands. But the smartphone knows because it has apps on it. Because you're like, well, I I turn off my GPS. I don't care. It still tracks you. Well, I turn off my GPS and my Wi-Fi. Is your phone on? You're still being tracked. You're tracked a minimum of three ways, actually four ways, without allowing anything to track you, which is GPS, you can turn that off. You're connected to the phone network, better turn your phone off. That's the only way not to do it. There's the apps themselves that are tracking you, whether you tell them they can or can't or even say they can't. And then there's also the Wi-Fi signal. So, unless you shut your phone off, you're being tracked if you've got apps on there. That's just reality. I don't care if you told it not to do it, it's doing it. They all do it, especially all the major companies and corporations. This can be used to get you to influence to buy things. But what else can they do? They can compare this to other information we've had. Before we had this, a similar idea was shopping carts, which I talked to you about before. You know, you go to Safeway, you slide your card, and you get your discount because the stake is. $14 a T-bone, but if you put in your phone number, use your card, you're going to get it for $9.95. That information isn't just used to figure out what you're going to buy. It's used to track everything that you do as an individual. Even if they don't have you registered, they know it's to that number. And the thing is, if you're not using using the card but using your phone number, then it's tracked to you because they know it's your phone. They can get more information. So if you're going to get a shopper card, don't register get the card. Don't use your phone number. Don't let them put it in. Tell them you'll do it later. Swipe the card. They'll still get their shopping information, but they won't get stuff on you. But the point of that is the data they could collect off those cards, and this has been going on for 20 years. At any store, there's enough compiled information. They could predict things, not only what you would buy, but what things could go on sale to get you to buy to the point of predicting your political beliefs because of how these things line up with other people, who you're most likely to vote for. And a whole slew of other things. What ideas would you support? What beliefs would you support? What telephone shows would you like? Which, which TV shows would you not want to watch? What should I advertise to you to watch that I think you'll like based on something else? Everything you can possibly think of. Now you bring smartphones and electronic surveillance into it, it gets even more broad. So it's not that the government can't do things. If they want to get you, they'll get you. But all these other corporations and stuff are doing probably 80 to 90% of it, honestly. There's an actual real number right in there somewhere. But it's, uh, that's what they're doing, and they're getting that information, and we allow it because we have smartphones. Because at this point, it's like, I can't live without a smartphone. I know people can't live without smartphones because they get upset when they get phone calls and they want to text it's because they're not patient or they're lazy or they're just completely dependent on it. It's at the point where people are so dependent on it, it controls their entire lives, and they schedule their entire lives on it. This was part of the idea, and there's other devices that do just as much, if not more, types of surveillance that influence what we do. So what's the point of this? When you see an ad on social media, like say Facebook, there's always ads up there, right? You see an ad, paid ad, whatever. It's for uh, this company or that company. I see them all the time, companies I never heard of. But I recognize the types of products and ideas they're trying to sell, and I realize why they're there for me. Because of other things I've done on the computer, other searches I have made, other purchases I have, I've bought. You know, people first started noticing with Amazon. because like, well, I'd go to Amazon, and I'd look at this, and then I'd go to this completely other website that Amazon ads, and I'd see an ad for that same thing, and it freaked me out. It's like, by the time people figured that out, we were way, way beyond that. The amount of information they know about you. Corporations and companies know more about you than the government does, by far. Now, here's where it gets fun. Governments and what they do are reliant completely on laws. Just like we saw in that article the fbi made some mistakes you read the article you get more of that information what's really happening with it they're accountable to it now everybody theoretically is but the government really is and when they get caught it's pretty easy to deal with as we've seen in this situation in most cases not all but in most cases corporations have unlimited funds we say government has unlimited funds because we're so much debt we're just floating money out there well they can send a lawyer to court all day long because the guy's already on the payroll, but corporations have so much stinking money. They can fight and argue anything in court and they have so many lawyers and so many levels of this and so many companies that they can beat you in court or any organization over something like surveillance just by dragging it out. And they may not even be dragging it out. Just might be the amount of information there. You can't keep up with it financially. So how much of this stuff's actually legal? Well, that's a good question you could really look into. And there's all kinds of little things there that might change one idea from what you think is illegal to legal. Some people call them loopholes. They're not real loopholes. They're actual things that are there in the law, kind of like I was talking about. We're not going to sell your stuff to a third party, but we sold it to Joe Bob's Crab Shack over here, but that's only because we own three stocks for 75 cents a piece. It's not a third party anymore. Truth be told, a lot of people are under surveillance. Most of them really don't care no matter what they say they actually cared about it and understood it and what it does, which I have barely scratched the surface on and how much it influences and controls your life, which you would understand and be willing to accept if it wasn't for our own natural egos, you would probably take your computers and your smart TV and God forbid you own something like an Amazon echo or a blue Bluetooth controlled vacuum cleaner that you've turned on, which is just retarded or Wireless security system. That's even worse You would take all that stuff to a shooting range and blow it up or get rid of it go back to analog or hardwired Or you'd be like me and you wouldn't care because you know to the extent it goes and what kind of life you want to live but you know how to get around certain things with False identities done the correct way patterns of life done the correct way so you can have your real pattern of life another way There's a lot of options out there and things you can do but do understand in this order, I would say these are the biggest threats <laughs> if you want, if, to your safety or security of your own information when it comes to surveillance. First is anything like the Amazon Echo, any of those devices by any company that controls your house or hardware, you ask it what time it is. Second is your smartphone. Third is a wireless security system of any kind, no matter how secure they tell you it is. Fourth would be things like tablets and computers. Not because they're unsecure, but because you use them. Because you're using apps. After using apps, it's just a fact that you go on the internet and do stuff. Going on the internet and doing stuff, if that's literally the last thing you did and you didn't do any of the things I previously mentioned, you're pretty much okay. You'll see some ads, but it's not really a huge deal. And then it goes down from there. So have fun thinking about this, but that's how surveillance works. That's what the real big surveillance is and you got to remember some of these companies no matter what they tell you is different they lie all the time some of these companies have government deals where they sell or provide this stuff to government agencies without a legal requirement meaning not during a lawful investigation with a warrant it's something they're able to provide them without breaking the law of their own volition and choice So you may not want out there to compile more of this data There are reasons why that can be considered a good thing. But as an individual, you very likely don't see it as a good thing for yourself. You don't care if it happens to Bob over here across the street. But you care if it happens to you. So that's what you got to consider. But there's a lot of that stuff out there. Worst device you probably own a smartphone or anything with apps on it. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. I look forward to actually doing some more stuff on surveillance, getting to more technical aspects of bigger, cooler surveillance stories that people like to discuss, like drones and the NSA and cyber surveillance and these types of things. This was a general overview of surveillance, giving you an idea based on the article stuff goes on, especially with your phones, let you know what's real. You can look this stuff up. You can find stuff out there. If I can find the documentary, I'm not going to look too hard, but if I find the documentary that talks about this, I'll definitely bring it up on another episode and put it in the links. Don't forget to check the show notes for the new links for DMR publications as well as their ongoing website. You can see the links to that article as well as a link to the Fourth Amendment if you need it. And you can see the links to all of the Gray Man pages and information for daily Gray man content. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and share with those you think would find this Ventures on whatever platform you are. We will be back to give you another show here soon on Grayman, Hiding in Plain Sight.